the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, April 26, 2022. The CONCACAF Champions League final is here, with Seattle Sounders leading the free space hopes for Major League Soccer. Cole Bassett has gotten his first assist with Feyenoord, coming off the bench to create the winner on Sunday in a 2-1 victory over Utrecht. A big axe is hanging up his boots, and it is a decade of dominance in the Bundesliga, as Bayern Munich won Der Klassiker over the weekend, and in doing so secured their 10th consecutive league title. As a result, I am joined now by a man who all he hears is Radio Muller, Radio Munich, Rabbi Mark Goodman. <laughs> that was a little too obscure for me, Matt. Well done. Great to see you. How's everything going these days? Uh, things are okay. I don't know. Mark, are you hearing that? There's like a giant biker gang that is just revving up outside my apartment and hopefully is leaving now that they've gotten a green light. I'm glad I moved out of Denver for the uh, the Road Warrior Apocalypse games that take place outside of Matt's downtown apartment every night. That's craziness, man. I- I'm not downtown, Mark. Don't don't put me with the don't put me with the ballpark yuppies. Aren't you, um, are you in? Are you aren't you in? Aren't you aren't you in one of the hipstery downtowny type? parts of town uh it's okay yes Lodo? i'm adjacent to downtown no i used to be rhino Lodos. oh i guess the so so i have to credit connor cape the radio voice of the colorado rapids mark who when uh previously i discussed where i had recently moved this was a few years ago that i've been in my current abode <laughs> and he said matt if you want to be super hipster and right you're technically in the golden triangle so to outsiders who vaguely understand denver i would say i'm crudely cap hill adjacent oh uh, right Yes, if you want to talk neighborhoods, I'm kind of in Lincoln Park. If you want to be super, like, almost St. Louis, Kansas City level scale in terms of, like, like five square blocks is its own little neighborhood. Like, there's no neighborhood in St. Louis proper that is larger than one, one mile by one square mile. Uh, I am in the Golden Triangle. And of course, Mark, if I was speaking to somebody who was in Littleton or Inglewood or anywhere in the Burbs, and I would describe the intersection that I'm at, or roughly where I'm at, they're like, oh, you're downtown, because I'm within 10 minutes walking distance of one of the skyscrapers greater than 15 feet. Uh, But yeah, life's good. Overall, Mark, I was at Breckenridge on the weekend, there was powder, it was very, very good. Um, So I had that on Sunday, and obviously had a full soccering day on Saturday, um, with Fulham, unfortunately, unable to uh, uh, clinch the league title, although they've already clinched promotion. So I'm very excited about that. I saw Real Betis, uh, who are my La Liga team in the first year that now I've paid attention to La Liga with them being on ESPN Plus, and they won Copa del Rey, which was very, very exciting, albeit at the unfortunate 
and expense of Yunus Musa. So it was a really great soccer day, Mark, right up until 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, Mountain Time. Uh, Rabbi, how was your weekend? I can not. Well, actually, I should complain. I, I was working the whole weekend. I had a uh, it was a, the end of the holiday Passover. I was up in Erie um, Sunday. We had a city uh, wide commemoration of uh, Yom HaShoah, the commemoration of the Holocaust. And I was a featured speaker at a program. Um, this is not good material for a soccer podcast, Matt. There's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, the upside was I got to. Um, the only exciting thing I wanted to do, Matt, was, um, there's a maritime museum in Erie, because I don't know if you know this, but, um, uh, just at the port of Erie, uh, and the shipyards and the shipmakers, the shipwrights, I suppose they would be called back then, um, built, uh, several of the ships that fought on Lake Erie, in the War of 1812. Did you know there was a maritime battle in Lake Erie at the War of 1812? There was, Matt. Um, it's where Oliver Hazard Perry, the admiral of the U.S. Navy at the time, um, took on the British Navy in a brig entitled the Niagara and won a, won a, a, a decisive battle that helped keep America free from British influence. Um, and it, it led to Erie's, um, one of Erie's famous, uh, phrases, which you can, you can Google. It's kind of a semi-famous phrase, uh, in kind of military, uh, you know, parlance, don't give up the ship. And in fact, that's the tagline for the Erie Commodore's soccer team, which is an NPSL team here. They have the dopest logo. It's a giant, uh, three-masted brig, um, it's the Niagara, I assume, uh, and their tagline underneath says, don't give up the ship. That's what they sh- shout when they, when they play soccer. That's pretty cool. But, um, so anyways, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of ruined the story. I'm going to even ruin it even more. So I was going to go to the Maritime Museum on Sunday afternoon because I was, or Sunday morning, because I had to kill some time between, um, services on Saturday and the program I was doing on Sunday afternoon. And I went and the museum that the... The ship that uh, you can tour the ship itself, the Brig Niagara, the museum is only open from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. (laughs) They were closed. Speaking of another thing, Mark, that has closed, Axel Huiberi, Axel Schuberg, has announced his retirement via Instagram, saying all good things come to an end. The time has come for me to officially announce my retirement from professional soccer, even though I made this decision a long time ago. I had waited to announce it because I haven't found the right words, and I still can't find that. He goes on to thank a bunch of people, including the teams and organizations that he's played for, the coaches, his teammates, players. Most importantly, thank you to my family and friends, both in Sweden and in North America for supporting me over the years. I know it has not always been easy, but I am forever grateful. Every ending has a new beginning, and the time has come for me to also announce the next chapter of my life and career and our family's life, and we could not be more excited. Tomorrow, I am starting a new career as an associate private banker at J.P. Morkin in Milwaukee. Goes on to say a bunch of other nice things about Milwaukee that I can appreciate, Mark, but this is a Colorado Rapids podcast. Uh, Mark, Axel, 
was a player for a number of years for the Rapids. He was drafted by the Colorado Rapids. He was in the conversation for Defender of the Year and Best 11 in that magical season that was 2016. The team changed. A new manager came in. The philosophy changed. I think Axel would have been a fantastic center back in the early 2010s, certainly the late 2000s. But I think the game and the league evolved past his time. He wanted to continue playing soccer, so he went to San Antonio um, after there were a few loan spins in there. Um, I think it was with Columbus and then loaned out. He was with DC United. Uh, I have his page up now. Let me confirm that. Uh, so yes, he was with Columbus Crew. He got loaned to San Antonio. He was with DC United and then eventually signed with San Antonio and was with them for the 2021 season. And he had a post at the end of their playoff run last year saying thank you. That was kind of cryptic implying that clearly he wasn't coming back. Mark, I have to assume it being late April at this point that, you know, the fact that he wasn't on a preseason roster or a trialist camp, certainly by the end of February, was pretty ominous. Uh, the guy did get a degree from the business program at the at Marquette when he was in college. It's a pretty reputable program and everything. And so combine the fact that he's going back to Milwaukee, I have to imagine there's some Marquette connections in there or maybe networking don't quote me on this, Mark. I believe his at the time girlfriend, now wife and the mother of his child, um, they met in college. And I believe she originally is from the state of Wisconsin. Uh, but it seems like a nice opportunity for them. It seems like a guy who was a good person, was a good player to cover. Mark was a good with the fans and is now continuing on with his life. And fortunately, thanks to the college athletic system, he was set up to do snow. And I think he's going to be perfectly fine. Uh, but Mark, I always think that Rapids fans are going to have a they're going to think kindly overall for Axel Schuberg because of the connections that he had with that 2016 team and um, uh, certainly him not being done right by the former manager we think about him in a positive light even after his departure from the team and Major League Soccer yeah it's a good summary Matt well said um, you know uh, 88 games 84 starts 7,436 minutes for the Colorado Rapids um, with four domestic clubs, 8,781 total minutes. Uh, he finishes his career with um, three Major League Soccer goals and one assist. Um, you know, the the way to sum up a guy's career, um, I think, you know, we often want to do a career retrospective that either only talks about the great things a guy does or says for a player like Axel, who who was a very good player, but not a great player and not an exceptional player and not a, a, a long tenured player with the Colorado Rapids, we could have we could have a long conversation of what might have been. And I think it's fair to do both. Um, Axel had one of the best single season soccer career soccer years of any player. You know, he was an integral part of the 2016 Colorado Rapids team that did not concede a single goal at home, um, that was undefeated at home, um, and were uh, just unbelievably difficult to play through. I mean, absolutely one of the most staunch defenses of all time. And I think one of the challenges with Axel, um, the yin and yang of who he was, was he was he was, you know, there's the, the metaphor that people use a lot of time, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Axel cleared the ball. He was one of the best ball clearing center backs 
possibly in the history of Major League Soccer. That feels hyperbolic, but I think it's probably true. And if you look statistically at his rate of clearances in 2016, and also I think in 2015, um, it was off the chart. You pair that, of course, with the famous story that um, Alan um, Gordon. Gordon told on the Sal and Benny podcast about kind of the downfall of Axel, which was that Axel would step out of practice in 2017 and 2018 while everyone else was was taking reps on the field and would practice clearing the ball when everybody else was practice was was in passing drills and in running drills and Gordon thought that was insane that like he was you know not working on all of the the aspects of the game and I do think that that probably contributed to um, a shortened lifespan in Major League Soccer, right? Um, and I think, Matt, you said it really uh, nicely at the beginning, which is to say, um, you know, Axel was uh, would have been in the 2010s or earlier um, a perfect, wonderful 10-year veteran player in Major League Soccer back when a player could be exceptional at one or two things, like clearing the ball, like defending um on the back line but the modern major league soccer player needs to really be very good at four or five different things you can't be just a guy who's really exceptional at one thing and get away with it anymore i mean even mark birch was a lockdown defender at left back and had one of the hardest shots you've ever seen was birch the best crosser passer the Rapids have had no, um, you know, and like you could say the same thing about a guy like Michael Azira, who covers a lot of ground, cuts passing lanes, slide tackles really well, not the world's best crosser or passer either. You know, he also has l- more limited use in the modern MLS world. Like, um, but we should not damn Axel by um, criticizing him for the things that he is not because the things that he was good at made him one of the most valuable players that the Colorado Rapids have ever had at center back. Yeah, number 44, so a really distinct number, obviously six foot seven. So many fun jokes to come out of that with the fact that teammates called him the big axe, the fact that it took <laughs> three years and several iterations for the Rapids community to decide on how they were saying his last name because we could not say his last name. Mark, I honestly, I, I've been thinking about like what would be a good off-season series for us to have or if like there was another pandemic, God forbid, and then like MLS shut down in the middle of the season where like we could fill time with content Content. And I think, you know, a like a la like the crack podcast or uh, BSI, the podcast of bringing on old veterans and just, you know, shooting the stuff, water cooler talk about their career and having fun with that. And one of the questions that I would pose to Axel in this hypothetical, potentially future interview is me saying, hey, Axel, when I talk about you in a media sense and I attempt to say your name as it's properly pronounced in Sweden, I say Axel Huiberi. Is that correct on a scale of one to 10, you know, with one being Joe Berg, five being or I'll say four being Schuberg and then 10 being how you say it in your native tongue, in your native accent. Where am I on that scale? So he was always fun. Uh, Mark, he was good in the media. He was good with the fans and everything. I think he fit in Denver really well because Colorado has so many similarities to Sweden to where he was certainly settled. I was kind of wondering if he could always take that next step. Could he be a great player in MLS? Would there be opportunities should he want to go back and play in Sweden or in Scandinavia or potentially with the national team? Obviously, that never came about. But um, 
He set himself up well in his career. And one thing that I'll always think about, Mark, that I think that, you know, you see this with those kind of guys, uh, players at his level, talent, and then potential-wise, where they get the right manager and they fit in really well. And he worked really well with Mambo Mastorini. And then Anthony Hudson comes in and he has a former finalist, I would argue, uh, Axel was done hard by in the voting. I believe it was Yella Van Dam of the LA Galaxy who won Defender of the Year in 2016. I think Axel should have won it. And then Courtney Ford was one of the finalists for Rookie of the Year, I believe, in 2017. And Anthony Hudson comes in and immediately says, yeah, you guys are on the bench. Like, I'm not even, not even like, hey, here's my style. Can we try and, you know, mold you into that just immediately? Like, them and Jared Watts were just immediately cast off. That's worked out in the long term, albeit with the only real center back left over from that has been Danny Wilson. And I wrote 3,000 words about how that was a nonlinear path to success. But Axel Schuberg has uh, has equipped himself well in terms of his post-playing career. And it was a nonlinear path, but I think a wonderful journey. We'll always remember that 2016 season. I think he was well-liked um, by the um, by the fans down in San Antonio. And he's going back to Milwaukee that has uh, some family ties on the other side of his family. Uh, Mark, I, I think it's a valid question. You know, where in five years from now, as a more veteran, uh, more higher-level person, as a private equity banker in J.P. Morgan, I'm going to assume he's going to be making more money than he ever was in the USL championship. You might know more about that than I would, but he set up to do really well. Um, and I'm looking forward to see what he does. And maybe he stays in soccer in some capacity, or maybe at least at the very least, he'll randomly tweet about major league soccer or maybe attend a Marquette game. Godspeed, Axel. Good luck, buddy. Listeners, this past Saturday at Dick's Morning Goods Park was an extremely frustrating scoreless draw between your Colorado Rapids and expansion side Charlotte FC that featured no goals and also, in the case of the Rapids, no shots on target. Uh, Mark, let's start off with the lineup. Uh, We saw Gus Viasia make his home debut and then also his first start as a member of the Colorado Rapids, as Danny Wilson was again unavailable. Um, and then uh, also you had Steven Betasher starting at the left wing back, or I don't know what we would call the the left-sided midfielder role in the 3-4-3 empty bucket, even though he's clearly not a wide midfielder, with Lucas Estevez reportedly nursing a little and not time-significant injury. No real surprises for me in terms of the starting 11 from Charlotte. Swinderski was up top. Um, uh Alcivar and Ortiz were in the midfield. Bronico as well. I guess the one surprise mark would have been Ben Bender coming off the bench in this one, but uh, <clears throat> looked like what you were expecting from a midfield standpoint. And the Rapids start off, and they're really good in the first half. Diego Rubio hits the post, uh, or the, I'll say the corner, maybe both the post and the crossbar in the ninth minute where he cuts inside and makes a really good shot that ends, ends up going off the post. First real opportunity for Charlotte comes on a transition play in the 21st minute where Swinderski cuts inside and shoots right at William Yarbrough. And then three minutes later, Diego Rubio hits his second post um, going off the crossbar on a shot where he kind of had to lunge for it because it wasn't right at him, but he was also in the box. So Andre Shinyashiki, who had a great little dribble and move to create an opening space, get past his man, and even find a passing lane to Rubio, was just trying to get it to him. He shoots it off the underside of the crossbar, it bounces down, and it's cleared out. And nothing else really else from the first half. <laughs> Second half, Mark, I think the key moment of the game, if we're gonna if we're gonna spend twenty minutes breaking down a scoreless draw in which the Rapids don't even get a shot on goal, uh, the most climactic moment 
would have been in the 49th minute where Rios makes a really, really good move and then ultimately cuts in stride and tries to shoot from close distance. Austin Trusty blocks that. It goes out to Alcivar, who shoots. William Yarbrough makes a great save. It goes out to Swindersky. Yarbrough is blindsided, or you would say, I, I would use the term, Mark, almost a, um, oh, what's the term they have in hockey, where it's, where it's like a tip drill, a screen, um, where there's a screen on him, and he has to make a diving save with his hand, reacting to the ball where he sees it a little bit late, and then it falls to Swindersky again, who then shoots wide. Uh, Mark, that save from Yarbrough with the, with the one hand, I would argue that sequence, it would be the save sequence of the week in Major League Soccer, but I think certainly that save, uh, the second save for Yarbrough, the third shot attempt in that 49th minute uh, candidate for save of the week in Major League Soccer. 78th minute, Rios burns Keegan Rosenberry. Ultimately, Austin Trusty gets a block on Alcivar on the near post that might have snuck by. I think Yarbrough had the angle covered, but in any case, another nervous moment in transition where the Rapids are trying to create something out of the back, fail to do so, and a Rapids player makes a mistake that leads to a very good opportunity for Charlotte. And then Mark uh, Mackenzie Gaines, who you might remember in the second home game, the 3-0 victory for the Rapids last year with Austin FC, had the one really good chance for Austin where he gets the ball in the midfield, basically runs past Lawless Abubakar for a breakaway, has a shout for a penalty, but Yarbrough makes a save and rightfully so, a penalty is not called in that. Basically has the exact same play, but to the opposite goal and from the opposite side of the field, burning he uh, Lawless Abubakar and then Yarbrough with another great save in the first minute of stoppage time. Uh, Mark, that's all she wrote, and the fact that the only two fun things for the Rapids in this one that I'm talking about, the rundown, are two posts hit by Diego Rubio. Uh, Mark, where do you want to start? Because again, I don't know that this game and its narrative and its soul is befitting of a organized structure that is good thing, bad thing, big thing. I mean, for me, the Rapids were tentative, and they um, they didn't make dangerous passes when given the opportunity. I think there's this thing that happens when you watch a lot of soccer where for me, sometimes I feel like I always see like this window of a pass that's like, oh, they should just slide that perfectly slotted pass through four guys and right into that spot right there. And why didn't they see that? And I know that sometimes they recycle the ball because making the dangerous pass when you're not all set <clears throat> creates opportunities for like counterattacks that are dangerous. So you make the low risk, low reward pass. But to me, the Rapids made the low risk, low reward pass, or they recycled or recirculated the ball so frequently in this game that it's to me slightly disingenuous to spend a lot of time talking about the chances that they did take. Not that they didn't have, not that they had a, a, an ample amount of chances. They didn't, they only had 11 total shots um uh in the game and of those only uh, a full fully four of them were blocked which means under some metrics they don't even count um seven shots all of them off target um but they didn't really create enough chances i mean in previous games the rapids have been creating more like 16 um shots in a game and in one of their earlier games um, I think in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, they created either 22 or 24 um, at home in that freezing game uh, against Comunicaciones, and they still only got a goal out of that. So creating 11 is not good enough. And so for me, and it goes back to a thing I wrote in Backpass last week, which is if we're not going to convert, then we need to create more chances. 
Um, and if we're going to recycle the ball and not be dangerous and not be risk uh, taking, then we're not going to create enough chances and we're going to draw to mediocre teams at home. Now, to be fair, when we went on the um, Queen City podcast last week, Matt, I said that this game was likely to be a 1-1 draw um, because I thought 1-1 was a pretty miserable, dull soccer game. I could not have possibly fathomed that it would have actually been 0-0. Um, to your point, last thing I want to say, Matt, uh, I think you said it really well about that one series that um, Charlotte nearly scored on. Um Footmob has a great uh, stat, new stat tracking that they didn't have last year, a feature um, which allows you to take a look at the expected goal value of um, individual shots in a game. Um, in the 49th minute, the Jordi Alcivar shot was worth 0. 0.10 expected goals. The Daniel Rios rebound of that shot was worth 0. 0.14 expected goals. And finally, um, the rebound that um, Swiderski put back was worth 0.12 expected goals. They had half an expected goal in three shots in a very quick rapid succession of a few seconds. And were it not for the uh, fearless work of the amazing William Yarborough, we would have lost that game one nothing. So sometimes goalkeepers really, really matter. And I also think we don't say that enough. All right. I have said all the things, Matt. What do you have to say? Um, I'll piggyback off of your point. Uh, William Yarborough earned Team of the Week honors, and I think deservedly so in that conversation. But not player I... of the game. <laughs> I... Mark, who decides this? This would be I'm going to find this out now because I don't know how that is. And that is the Mark you're referring to at the end of the game yeah. where the voice announcer announced this. So this was not who got the or at the end of the game from C38. No, I, I do not know who got the or I was uh, talking with Brendan Plo and we were frustrated and trying to come up with narratives, Mark, which why I'll get to in a minute. I focused more so on something that happened behind two trash cans on the concourse rather Owls. than what happened uh, <clears throat> in the 90 minutes on the game. But yeah, so I think I, I'm going to find that out now. I'm going to make a note, folks, and I'm going to find out who ultimately decides that. I can understand where if you're giving it to a field player, Diego Rubio was the most deserving because he created chances and he had two really good ones and I think if you combine like a foot difference in terms of those two ball placements we're talking about a 2-0 scoreline at halftime for the Rapids rather than nil-nil. So I think it's still kind of encouraging that Rubio is getting opportunities and he's creating chances, Mark. I think the big thing that's frustrating for me that I want to believe the emotional wave of the 24 hours between the Jossi Zardes trade, Zardes getting in Colorado, Zardes actually ultimately making his debut off the bench despite not training with any of his teammates is the belief that that's going to change things is that just the the wing play was just so ineffective we'll get to this in a little bit when we talk about the actual artist trade but Andre Shinishiki is a really good press from the ball he's really good in terms of in possession he's not really creating anything for himself in terms of being gold dangerous Michael Barrios has been a shadow of himself so far this MLS season, and so the team's not getting as much of the ball. They're not dictating as much of the play, so they're not as creating. They're not creating chances in volume. They are creating high quality chances, and most of the ones that they are creating are Diego Rubio historically. So historically, it's in prior to 
last Saturday's game, Rubio had been converting on those. And again, we're talking fine, fine margins. We could very well be singing Diego Rubio's praises about how he's the best striker on the Rapids and how many goals are he and Giassi's artist going to score if, again, those two balls are combined one foot down, so six inches each uh, down closer to the ground than what they were, and we're having a very different conversation. That is the nature of world football, unfortunately, Rabbi. But they're not creating as much chances. And really, Charlotte grew into the game. After the first 15 minutes, I thought Charlotte got their bearings on it. And I think you'd make an easy argument the final 60 minutes of the 90 that Charlotte was clearly the better team. And this was a team where starters had gone 50 minutes or an hour in Open Cup. This was an expansion team that was playing their first ever game at altitude. And they are outplaying the Colorado Rapids in the second half. And I should point out this was happening, Mark, largely without the most important midfielder on the Rapids and their captain, Jack Price, who sustained a hamstring injury late in the second half and was subbed on for Colin Warner. We like Colin Warner. He is the modern manifestation, the modern avatar that of Michael Azira on this team. Colin Warner is limited, and I just don't know with this empty bucket, Mark. Right now, the bucket is empty, and at the same time, the bucket is overflowing because the ship is taking on water. You know, and, the you know, we need to not abandon the ship, but, you know, you have to change something up in terms of how you're managing it, just because it's it's not working for me in the midfield. I don't understand. I, I think part of it's a numbers game. I have to wonder, Mark, how much of this change in tactical formation is Frazier not having a clear really good third best midfielder to where he doesn't trust Brian Acosta come in and be the more destroyer number six. Colin Warner has his uses, but clearly isn't a starter on this team. And is it better for them to have a numerical advantage in the wide positions at the expense of the midfield and then thus not being as good on the ball, not having that better defensive shape because they're less dense as a formation. And I have to wonder, Mark, how much of this is just a fallout from trading Cal and Acosta and not immediately getting somebody who can do his same role? How many games did we talk about last year or the year before where there was an injury or tactically it made sense to put him at left back or Sam Vines was unavailable and Acosta played out at left back and the Rapids, even if they had the same formation or somebody else plugged in for Acosta, then in the midfield and everybody else had the same roles other than that new person for Acosta, they just got completely run over, you know, by a bus in the midfield. And right now this is happening. I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. But as long as they do that, this team isn't dictating games. I don't think they're a sharp building out of the back and creating chances. And when they do create chances, while there are some good quality ones, there's not enough of those good ones. And the only one who's able to convert any of those has been Diego Rubio. So those are all very frustrating. But if if Friday, if Saturday is an indication of what this team is going to look like without Danny Wilson anchoring the back line, without Jack Price in the midfield, and without Lucas Estevez being the key catalyst from the middle third into the final third, I am terrified, Mark, about what the month of May is going to look like for the Colorado Rapids. Viasia, I thought, looked okay in terms of the, the defensive shape and his spacing and the gap control when there were counterattacks for Charlotte. I don't know that he did enough on the ball. Really, my criticism misses that he's not Danny Wilson, one of the top five passing center backs on the team, possibly the best passer on the team, I would potentially argue. So I think there's some potential there. I think it's pretty clear in the first two weeks of him being a member of the Rapids that he is a project. Hopefully that project can come to fruition at or soon after the month of July when Austin Trusty ends up leaving. But Price's injury is the biggest thing. I'm more disappointed. I'm more frustrated and concerned, Mark, about Jack Price going off the field 
getting stubbed out with a hamstring injury, the fact that the Rapids are already been hampered with multiple long-term uh, lower body injuries, multiple now hamstring injuries. I, I have the sense that Estevez being kept out and coming off the bench rather than starting was more precautionary than something long term. But the spine of this team are Danny Wilson and Jack Price, and I'm really concerned about what that uh, <clears throat> looks like, Mark. But, you know, hey, Giassi's artist came in and he looked okay. Uh, he said after the game he arrived uh, 9 p.m. Uh, on uh, Friday. He was actually, he trained with Columbus on Friday, he was planning to take a trip. I don't know where they were on the weekend, but they were getting on a plane. I think they were at D.C. Don't quote me on that. And so he, I guess, already had his bag packed. Uh, he arrived. He got to the hotel, got up early on Saturday because his body was already on Eastern time. He had a meeting with Robin Frazier in the morning to go over film to talk tactically, mostly on the defensive side, which I think was kind of interesting, Mark. And he came in and he tried to do stuff. And it didn't really work because he'd never played with Diego Rubio prior to right then. But I guess, you know, uh, Zardis is maybe the one positive I have out of here, Mark, because I think there's hope from that signing and hope from just initially the vibes that I've gotten from him and how he carried himself in post-game media, media availability. Rabbi, any other big things we want to discuss? Yeah, last thing is, uh, you know, uh, I think you brought up a lot of issues around personnel and tactics and where uh, things, what adjustments might need to be made. Um, five games uh, without a victory. The last team we beat, Matt, was Sporting Kansas City. Sporting Kansas City, currently 12th out of 14 teams in the Western Conference, with a minus eight goal differential, two wins, one draw, six losses. Sporting Kansas City are bad, and that's the last team we were able to beat. So we we currently, if you if you if you want to say, oh, the Rapids are just in a funk, you can make that argument. There is a strong counter argument that one could make, which is we're only capable of beating bad soccer teams. We're not actually a good soccer team this year. Um, which is a little bit troubling. Um, I think the last thing I'll say, Matt, is to your point, which is if you don't have Jack Price, if you don't have Danny Wilson, if you have Jossie Zardes and Diego Rubio up top as your as a paired set of strikers, um, and you have to kind of figure out, like, all right, you know, who are our best center backs compared with who are our best midfielders? How many wide players do we want to put on the field? How many strikers do we want to put on the field? Um, and is this current 3-4-3 formation working? Um, you're really left with a lot of questions and and a lot of questions that Frazier has to answer of like, do we need to change formation? Do we need to change who our regular starting lineup is? Do we need to change um, the tactical look of the team beyond just looking at, um, you know, the formation, which is a thing I also talked about in Backpass last week of some changes the Rapids might need to make in order to get more chances. Um, is, and I think the last question that's that's worthwhile of asking is, is uh, Frazier capable of big systemic changes or is it not time for that? I mean, I remember asking Anthony Hudson in a post-game conference uh, a number of years ago, um, after a really long loss streak. Matt, you were sitting next to me, so you might remember this because all the oxygen got sucked out of the room when I asked it. Um, I asked um, 
you know, we're not winning a lot of games lately. Is it time to make a significant change of some kind? And his response was basically, no, it's not time to do that. Um, you could ask the same of Robin Frazier, which is, all right, five games in a row, we haven't won and we don't really look like we're uh, a top team in the West right now. Are there some real changes this team needs to go through? Um, and what are those going to look like? And, you know, uh, maybe when I'm I'm uh, in Colorado sometime this summer, I'll get to ask that. And Frazier will look at you and be like, who the hell is this guy, man? I never met him before. And he's a jerk. Yeah, uh, last thing that I'll say, Mark, so uh, our good friend Joseph Samuelson tweeted out there were two owls uh, that we have since in the press box believe we have identified as great horn owls that Mark had nothing to do with the fact that my mom is an active bird watcher and would be able to identify them knowing the uh, local bird owl species that exist in Denver, Colorado. And Mark, I can confirm that stadium facilities, uh, th those people who manage that uh, were aware of them. They are fledglings, so they're not um, – so they're capable of leaving the nest but haven't fully uh, separated from their parents to go out and then be juvenile or adolescents to become then adults and then be mature owls doing mature owl things. Um, it was a distinct possibility that mom was just out hunting and then had left them somewhere and then was going to come back. Um, but Facilities is aware of that. Obviously, Dick's Sporting Goods Park exists very close to the Arsenal uh, National Reserve. They're aware of this and wildlife can exist in and around the stadia in many forms. We know about that, Mark, from the Prairie Dogs that ultimately inhibited some of the um, Victory Plaza growth that actually happened and obviously became a significant environmental wildlife and human health operating complication in the what August September late third of the season 2019 when we had the plague game against the Montreal impact now CF Montreal so um, the facilities and the stadium and the club do work with a bird of prey rescue and if there were any big issues or if ultimately they weren't being cared after um, they would be put into that program and be properly taken care of I would assume with the opportunity to eventually be released out into the wild sands Mom, uh, it's my understanding, Mark, that nobody was really bothering them. They were kind of just sitting there chilling, kind of wondering what's all these people and all this loud noise. And then the game ended and then everybody went home and then it got dark. And I assume they went out and did fledgling owl things. But uh, Mark, <laughs> Owl Watch was maybe the, 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 the most fun part of the game because I was having fun with it on Twitter. People were having fun with it on Twitter. Uh, there are people postulated, uh, Mark, I don't know if you remember this, but we used to see Owl back when you were still in Denver. We used to occasionally see a owl up in the rafters of the yeah, roof on the west side above the press box and i have actually seen not this year and not every year but i have occasionally seen a nest up there as well usually when that happens mark i make a joke about how sheffield united or excuse me excuse me sheffield wednesday was scouting a rapids homegrown player for a potential signing uh so i don't know if this is the same family i don't i haven't paid close enough attention to know is this even the same species is there just a line of is there a family a lineage a descendancy of great horned owls mark that have just inhabited dick sporting its park like how maybe there was a long you know family of the colony of raccoons that existed in uh rfk but uh it was fun on on twitter uh joseph thank you for providing that amusement uh because the it was the most fun aspect of my second half of watching and covering the game on saturday uh rabbi anything else that we want to say about this or shall we move on to jassy zardes
We have a new striker, Matt. Yes, we do. So, uh, folks, Yossi's artist comes over from Columbus Crew SC. He joins the Colorado Rapids. He will be a designated player. He is a striker. And then let me just pull up all the details, Mark, of the trade that we got from the nice press release uh, from the Colorado Rapids. So, Mark, it is... $300,000 Three hundred thousand dollars in twenty twenty two general allocation money. Uh, there are additional performance metrics incentives uh, that could uh, increase that by one point one million to a combined one point four million dollars. Zardis will occupy a designated roster spot, and he is in the final year of his contract. Mark, I, and others have strong reason to believe that those performance incentives may include but not be limited to Giassi's artist scoring twelve non penalty kick goals this season, possibly making the World Cup roster squad, whether or not the Rapids make the playoffs, whether or not the Rapids win MLS Cup, whether or not Giassi's artist wins the Golden Boot or as is a certain level of placing in the Golden Boot race and whether or not he resigns with the Rapids and should the, and if the contract is three years or longer. Mark, as I wrote for Last Word on Soccer on Friday, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes for those who are interested, I think this was a win-win. I don't know that there's anybody that immediately, you know, I it's like when you propose a trade and ask who says no of the relevant parties, and clearly nobody said no to this. I think it got increasingly clear that Caleb Porter is interested in pursuing the Miguel Berry experiment. Giassi's artist as a backup striker playing 500 minutes and scoring maybe five or six goals this season was not going to be a good use of a designated player spot. At the same time, they knew this late in the season what his market value was going to be within the league. Colorado got him for peanuts if we're talking about 300k in GAM. Mark, if, if the Rapids, you know, by end of next week when it's uh, May 5th, the final day of the primary transfer window, trade Andre Shinoshiki within the league. I'm going to assume they're going to get at least the equivalent to 300K in general allocation money, but they stacked that with incentives. So if he ends up being a total bust, then ultimately Colorado didn't you know, pay big DP money for a guy who ultimately isn't going to be productive in there. And if he ends up hitting all those incentives or providing all of that production, then Columbus is going to be compensated accordingly. I would not have imagined last year or in the prime of his time as a DP with Columbus, you know, scoring 15 to 19 goals a season that an MLS team was going to give him more than one. million in guaranteed allocation money or equivalent assets with that. And so if he ends up meeting all those metrics, then he'll be worth the transfer fee. And then Columbus is covering their you-know-what in terms of if this ages poorly in terms of Miguel Berry not being good and Giassi's artist going to, you know, revenge of the, you know, misfit toys FC and absolutely crushing it with the Colorado Rapids. And obviously, I think for Giassi's artist, uh, you know, he kind of the, uh, there's a reporter from the Columbus Dispatch who was on the post-game media availability, Mark, who kind of asked him, you know, whether or not he wanted to stay in Columbus and what his thoughts on that were. And I think Giassi did a very, I've had PR media training. I'm going to dance around this question without saying explicitly how I feel. Or I think if he did feel that way, Mark, if he wanted to be in Columbus, it was up to him. I think he would still be a member of the Columbus crew, but he also would have started every single game for Columbus this season, which is obviously outside of his control. And so I think right now for Zardis, he got an opportunity where he 
uh, where he he's going to a team that clearly wants and clearly needs him. He's going to a team where he is going to play. And whereas I think Mark Anthony K arrived last year for the Colorado Rapids, he's like, all right, when do we play in LAFC? Or Kellen Acosta, who I think years, I think still now, Kellen Acosta is probably looking, when do we play in FC Dallas? When do we play in Orlando? Because that's Oscar Perea and everything. I think G- – you know, those guys still have a little bit of revenge energy for me. I think Mark Anthony K might feel something, maybe not as significant, but emotionally when we play Toronto later this year, because it's, oh, that was the team I was an academy player for. They could have kept me, and they're managed by Bob Bradley, who's the reason I'm not still with LAFC. I don't know that Zardis is thinking about that in terms of like the, yeah, let me get back at my ex. I think he's just happy to be in a committed <laughs> relationship with Robin Frazier and Diego Rubio and the Colorado Rapids in that regard. Uh, Mark, what were your initial reactions to this trade? What were your reactions to what we've seen from Giassi since making his PIDS debut, uh, spending some time with the media? What overall, what expectations should we have now that the Rapids finally have a designated player number nine? Yippee! Um, There's a couple aspects. I think, first of all, Matt, uh, kudos to you for covering that incredibly well. I think the way you handled... Um, the math of the risk reward issues of a $300,000 GAM plus incentives contract um, and breaking that down as it might apply to other players that the Rapids might ultimately sell if they are going to want to because they've now got one more striker than they really want. Um, it was really, really well done and really, really clear. So well said. Um, I think that the 12 goal threshold is about right i don't know where you found that piece of information out but it's a it's a spectacular little tidbit however you got it uh or if it's speculation it's still really good speculation um i think uh, you know ultimately one way of looking at jossie sardes is by saying i think rapids fans are all probably really happy because he's exactly the solution we were looking for I think for a bigger MLS club or a, a a team with higher aspirations in the league of like winning it all, um, this would have felt like settling. You know what I mean? Like instead of getting some big European player who's going to come in mid-July like Houston is with Hector Herrera, um, the Rapids are getting a guy who's a little bit lower profile, you know, a little bit less likely to be significantly impactful. Um, But that's okay, because for the Rapids, this is kind of exactly what they want at exactly the right time. Um, What should we expect? I I mean, I think 8 to 12 goals is a very reasonable expectation. Um, If he's under 8, then it's it's, uh, definitely... Not quite what we were hoping for, but not terrible either. I mean, the Rapids have had um, goal scorers by committee for the last couple of years, and they really haven't needed a double-digit goal scorer in order to be, for instance, last year, the Western Conference champions. So um, the last thing I'll say is, and this is just a different angle on looking at this trade, and I think it's a historic one, and one that I do a fair amount. Um, I have I, I don't know why I have written this kind of article multiple times throughout my time following the Rapids, but for some reason, I'm just really interested in the history of Porrick Smith. Um, this trade represents just one more data point in the evolution of Porrick Smith as a GM. Early in his career, Porrick, just like most GMs, was convinced that there was some South American savior or some overpriced English championship player or some, 
you know, guy who's playing in the uh, Allsvenskan or in the Danish Superliga, who is 22 years old and spectacular and the next rising star, right? I mean, Pork Smith 1.0 was... If we get Joe Mason, all our problems are going to be solved. And Porik Smith 2.0 was Yannick Boley is a distressed asset out of Russia, and we could turn him into the next big thing. And Porik Smith 3.0 has been um, something that we actually see with other GMs around MLS relatively frequently, which is an understanding of the intrinsic value of MLS players who have proven their value in MLS, right? He got Jossie Zardes. He got um, Mark Anthony Kay. He got Kellen Acosta, right? Um, he's the, He's gotten a whole bunch of players who did good things in Major League Soccer and then ultimately panned out very well. In fact, the last non-MLS player that Porrick Smith went out and got that worked out really well is William Yarborough, which is a really interesting one. Yarborough kind of a proven, you know, concept in the sense that he played with the U.S. men's national team. He was playing in Liga MX, which is, you know, a very, very close analog to MLS, right, at this stage. So Pork Smith, I'm calling it Pork 3.0, is is really a nice evolution. He seems to make good choices. Um, he doesn't have a lot to work with, and he makes things happen anyways. So um, that's just one other kind of piece to 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 bring in here. I'm excited about it, but like I said during our last segment, Matt, um, I do want to figure out if Robin Fraser can adjust to a new formation, a new uh, approach to the to the game, considering he's got new pieces to play with. I think it's going to work out really well, Mark, because I think Zardes reminds me he is all of the good things that I think Kai Kamara yeah. was, certainly without any of the baggage. Like, you want to talk about a guy who has competed for the Golden Boot in MLS, has been a designated player, has won two MLS Cups with different teams, was the homegrown, you know, Hawthorne, California darling of the LA Galaxy, ultimately cast off for a bunch of reasons, most of which were not his fault, came to Columbus, resurrected his career and was fantastic. Like, you want to talk about, in terms of currently, like, decorated domestic guys, you want to talk about a guy who's won you know, who's won all of that and like the almost like complete lack of ego that he has in everything with that, I think shows a lot of humility. And I think it's it's almost fitting. I, I want to ask him about this, but kind of you compare that to the introduction that most people in MLS got to him when he signed with the LA Galaxy out of, I think he was Cal State, the the Roadrunners. I want to say it's Bakersfield. Don't quote my knowledge of Cal State school mascot and athletic team nicknames is not very good despite being a California native. And the first interview that he did was, you know, like, my skills are going to blow your mind. And compare that to, you know, now the first touch highlights that we get from angry USMNT YouTubers is just, you know, as, as big a contrast as I think also the contrast we've seen in how he is now as, you know, a 30-year-old veteran in this league compared to maybe the naive um, starstruck player that, you know, signed as a homegrown in MLS. He will be 31 in September uh, last year. 
His guaranteed compensation was $1.4 million. That's been pretty steady in terms of his current DP contract with Columbus. Mark, I'd have a reason to believe that's close to within maybe 100, 150K uh, plus or minus is the level where he's at. If we compare that to past designated players with the Colorado Rapids, Kevin Doyle was always making about $1.17 million. Skoshengashi was making $1.65. And I don't want to include Tim Howard in this, Mark, because as we've gone over on this podcast and as I and you and many other people have reported, that contract was largely tied to the shirt sponsorship with Transamerica. And so in that, effectively, that sponsorship was paying for the DP contract. So, I mean, Mark, you want to compare it, you know, it was 1.1 million right around that for Eunice Nomaly when he was with the Rapids. Kellen Acosta was making just over a million when he was with the Rapids under his new deal that's now, um, you know, on the books at LAFC. And then we haven't gotten the new numbers. I wouldn't be shocked if Jack Price with his new deal, uh, when we get the numbers from the MLSPA this spring or later, earlier in the summer, early this summer, come out if Jack Price is making somewhere between 900k and 1.1 million I think that would absolutely be deserved but I think it's worth pointing out that in terms of I'd have to go back and check obviously there's years where we don't have those numbers I'd be shocked if the Rapids were paying somebody more than 1.4 million dollars you know in like 2012 but you know Jossie's artist is probably right now the highest paid uh domestic highest paid field player in the history of the Colorado Rapids behind only Skelshengashi, and I think that's worth pointing out, and so we'll see whether or not it works out. I, I don't know, unless the artist comes out and scores like 15 goals or wins the golden boot or scores in a playoff game and like gets the team to MLS Cup, that there's going to be a huge domestic market for him. Most teams are kind of settled on their DP strikers and maybe don't want to pay for a guy who's 31 years old at that point. So I, I think it would behoove both parties involved to come to a number. We'll see what that looks. I think that number will fluctuate depending on what he does this season. I'd be shocked if it is more than the $1.4 million that he is currently owed for this year. And I think that would be beneficial for all parties because this is going to be Zardis' last big contract. After that, it's probably going to be domestic, you know, low-level budget players and probably coming off the bench if not by the end of you know that would be that third year so if it was this year and then three more that would be in the calendar that would be in 2026 at what point Jossie's artist would be turning what 34 35 I think in the second half of that season but Mark I think he works with this team because I think now you can have Diego Rubio go back to being the underneath uh, secondary striker false 90 kind of role where he can still press really well he can still contribute to the buildup Zardes can be a target guy that is another option for them to get forward into the field where previously that had pretty much been limited to the wide roles Barrios on the right and Lucas Estevez on the left I think you go full 3-5-2 if Danny Wilson can come back and be healthy and if Iasia can work out long term with Austin Trusty leaving, and that gives you five guys in the midfield, not just Estevez and then Keegan Rosenberry on the wide rolls. I think there's a number of different pieces that he has in the midfield. I'm kind of frustrated that Robin Frazier, again, hasn't been playing three midfielders because maybe that's an indication that Brian Acosta's gotten a slow start and Colin Warner's limited, but I think there's answers to be had there, and I think just having numbers in that position, clearly defined roles and chemistry between Kay, Price, and whoever that third guy ends up being, or if there's a rotation amongst them, for them to solve a lot of their issues in the buildup in terms of controlling the midfield, ultimately controlling the game, and then being able to do something in the final third that isn't low, uh, that isn't low probability, ultimately just finding Rubio and hoping that he is on form. So I think this will work out. 
Mark, I would put the – so Rubio's already on four goals. Um, would we say – Mark, would you expect Rubio and Zardis combined for the rest of the season more or less than 20 goals scored? Ooh, it's it's really – I say under because that just seems like an obscenely high number. Um, but that is the number. That's a, when you were when you were coming up with an over under. I was like, he's going to say twenty. He's going to say twenty. I'm going to go under because I'm always pessimistic about the Rapids. But um, I think sixteen feels uh, doable. But then you really get into that question with the Rapids, which they've been doing for the last two seasons: of are they going to get those midfield goals? And the person who used to be the guy who got midfield goals was Cole Bassett. I mean, he was uh, he had five last year and five, I think, the year before that, which isn't a lot, but if you get five from one midfielder and five from a winger and five from another midfielder, then you make up for all the things that you're not getting if you don't have a 15-goal scorer up front. So um, if we've got two guys, they, they could turn in 16. We've got three midfielders who turn in five apiece, then you know, we, we can be a competitive team and we can win some games. If we don't find that midfielder and if these guys don't break 16, uh, we are uh, not going to make the playoffs. Anything else that we want? Oh, and the other thing that I'll point out on Zardis, uh, folks, for those of you who didn't know, uh, obviously a lot is made of his hair. He actually started bleaching his hair when he was a youth player. Uh, his grandparents' eyesight was not so good, so he did it to uh, stand out on the field and has basically just been, you know, a thing that he's stuck with. That's him. That's his look. So I wouldn't expect him to change that. Don't expect it to come out as uh, Rapids Blue or maybe Rapids Mint Green for a road game. It's going to be the bleached uh Mohawky uh, racing stripe that he has. So he and Barrios, Mark, uh, you know, maybe maybe Barrios can give him a uh, a recommendation on who to see to uh, get his hair did in that regard. And the other thing I'll point out is his what Zardis has done with the community. Going back to his time with the LA Galaxy, he was always really connected to the Hawthorne, California community. Um, he did a lot of programs uh, at the youth level. He actually started the initiative that the Galaxy have now continued on of creating futsal courts in communities where previously they were going to tear those down or get rid of park facilities. He's been really active in the community with, the, uh, with Columbus Crew. I'm curious to see what he does in Denver and Mark, maybe the fact that he He's now under one of the two black head coaches in Major League Soccer, and he's got a few teammates who are pretty prominent within black players for change. Maybe he gets a little bit more involved in that organization, where at least in terms of what I've observed with that, he hasn't been one of the the mastheads in the way that, say, Justin Morrow historically has been with that organization. But I'm really curious to see what that looks like, and I think the Colorado Rapids got a good human being and a good soccer player on and off the field. Listeners, this coming Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids will be, for the first time this season, hosting the Portland Timbers, who eliminated them on Pidsgiving last year. We are currently 8-34 through the Colorado Rapids 2022 season. That reduces down to 4-17. The Pids find themselves in 10th of the Western Conference and outside the playoff race. They have 9 points off of 8 games played, a record of 2 wins, 3 losses, and 3 draws, and a goal difference of negative 2. At home this season, they are 2-0-2. Portland Timbers just one spot above them 
and ninth. They have one more point, nine points, but on two more games played, they've played 11 this season. They have a record of two, two, and five, a goal difference of negative three, and away from Providence Park this season, they are one, one, and two. Mark, the, the Portland Timbers, having made MLS Cup last year, pretty much have decided to run it back with the exception of Diego Valeri, who has gone on to take a sweetheart deal in Argentina. There was a long protracted out negotiation for the new contract with Sebastian Blanco, who is back in with the team, but has had a little bit of a slow start to the season. Only three starts this year, 383 minutes played, though he does have to assist. The big uh, pleasant surprise, Mark, has been the arrival of Yimmy Chara, the younger of the two Chara brothers, who has three goals and three assists in nine starts this season. He has started every single game. Dairon Espria and Santiago Moreno have been the other main wide players. Obviously, there is Diego Chara, Mark, who, as I'm seeing on the uh, match log for their game over the weekend against RSL. Diego Chara is not on the team, so I'm wondering if there was an injury maybe that I didn't see. Um, Eric Williamson is back, uh, who's been a, who was a good number eight for them, Mark, in the 2020 season or was part of that triple pivot when um, they were uh, when they were running out the Christmas tree formation, a 4-3-2-1. Obviously, Laris Mabiala is the main center back for uh, the Portland Timbers, and they are suspect but more MLS-experienced at the outside back roles with Bravmo and Van Rankin on the left and right. And they have a new goalkeeper, E. Vakic, with uh, Steve Clark leaving the club in the offseason. Uh, Mark, I haven't been super impressed with Portland, but as we've said the last five games, we haven't been super impressed from the Colorado Rapids. What are we expecting from Portland? Is this year finally that the wheels completely come off the car with just a increasingly aging squad and, you know, soft tissue and muscle injuries out the wazoo? Or should we just expect Portland to come in, sit behind the ball in a 4-2-3-1, nick a goal, and win this game 1-0. Yeah, Portland's got a lot of problems. Um, they're they're a little bit like the Rapids in that they're uh, starting to not really put it together. They just came off of a nil-nil draw with RSL, um, in which neither team looked particularly good, and RSL are not a particularly good soccer team. Um, although they gave it to Seattle the other day, um, a couple weeks ago, and so it it can be. It's been a bit of a mix in the in the Western Conference, but Seattle have been you know really at the time were really focused on Concacaf, so um, it, it's a little bit uh, of asking the question whether they're able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, you know, it's worth asking questions about whether Sebastian Sebastian Blanco is done. Um, you know, Diego Valeri was starting to get used only in. Um, substitution time for the last two seasons. And then this season, you know, it was time for him to, to go home. Um, Sebastian Blanco is also kind of like really starting to look uh, his age at this point. Um, 157 matches in Major League Soccer, 42 goals. Um, but this past year, um, so far, he's got no goals. He does have two assists, uh, but three yellow cards ad- additionally. Um, on a total expected goals up till now of 0.48. Blanco is the number 10 for the team. Um, He, and that literally also is his number. Um, But, you know, a question of whether he's being flanked by guys who can support him enough is is also uh, worth kind of questioning. Santiago Moreno on one side, and Dairon Esprilla, who has... Aspria, I know, but I like to say Esprilla. I don't know why. Um, Who's starting to show his age and also like has alternately been a wing back and full back and uh, a wide left sided player throughout his career. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't really know if this team is good enough. I wanted to spend some time talking about um, Ivasic, uh, the the goalkeeper, because in the off season, um, uh, as I noted at the beginning of the season, um, Portland did a really interesting thing in um, bringing on a few um, a few goalkeepers uh, to fill in for Steve Clark that I thought were like really interesting as a move. They had um, Ivasic, uh, Justin Von Stieg, who um, I think was a backup for the Galaxy, uh, David Bingham, who had taken an entire year off of soccer and was not playing at all last year. Um, and uh, and then they brought on uh, to to add with uh, Ivasic. So it's been an, it's an interesting thing. Um, Bingham hasn't, I don't think, started any games this season. Um, so, uh, I think that tells you a little bit about what they were doing with him, which is like, let's, let's give this old veteran a a try. I don't know. Portland don't seem very strong right now. Uh, it it might be a little early to say the wheels have come off the bus and they're too old and they can't get it done. Um, but there's definitely real questions as to whether this team, um, isn't way in over their head right now and isn't in, isn't in big trouble. Um, but considering they're in ninth place and the Rapids are in 10th, uh, you know, the, I think the two teams mirror each other neatly in that there are some real questions to be asked about both clubs. Um, you know, meanwhile, uh, the three Texas teams who finished at the absolute bottom of the league last year, Austin's in second, Dallas is in fourth, and I think Houston's in seventh right now. So it could be early. I mean, things might like regress back to normalcy. Um, or we might be finding out that like actually Portland and the Rapids are bad and Texas is good. Uh, just a few quick things, Mark. Uh, reports out from the Portland game on Saturday. Stumptown Footy was reporting it was a hip injury that was keeping Diego Trapp out of the 18. So I guess let's look to see what happens in the injury report. And there's relevant people in Portland. Uh, listeners, if you don't, if there's a team that the Rapids are playing that you would like recommendations on for like beat reporters or like the equivalent of their Brendan Plone, Jake Shapiro, us, HTHL, for example, on this, uh, we, Mark and I have that pretty much off the top of our head for, I think, most teams in MLS. Um, but certainly, um, you know, we'll see whether or not uh, Chira is able to go. And I think it's also interesting, Mark, if you look at it, kind of the question about whether or not Sebastian Blanco is washed. If you go back to <laughs> even last season, you know, pretty much, you know, Portland's record with him starting versus without him starting, without him starting like this team does not is not a playoff team over the last three to four years, even when Diego Valeri has been starting. And then when he has been starting, it's a team that is for, you know, a lock in any recent MLS season to have a home playoff game and possibly a contender for finishing top of the conference and maybe even a dark horse for the supporter shield, but you compare that to how this season has started in Sebastian Blanco's three starts this year. They have a 3-1 loss back at the beginning of April to the LA Galaxy, and the other two are the two most recent games that are both scoreless draws, uh, one on the road to Houston, and then the other home to RSL this past weekend. And in none of those games, if I'm scrolling through, he has not played 90 minutes uh, this entire calendar year. So that does not 
Oh, well, and so I'm kind of wondering, Mark, maybe where historically we would say, oh, crap, Sebastian Blanco. And last year in the playoff game, when Sebastian Blanco gets hurt in the second half and then gets immediately subbed out, and we're thinking, yay, everything's fine. Maybe we should almost be hoping for Sebastian Blanco to be in this one because he hasn't been as effective and Portland hasn't been as effective in the attack. I think the key guy to focus on, Mark, is what Yimmy Chara is doing because, again, whether it's um, Oh, the other strikers that uh, Portland has, um, whose names are escaping me at this at this moment. Nia's Goda is one who I think of, Mark, who is, you know, like, like if he was not on a prominent team in MLS, like, I think the average MLS fan or pundit would look at him the same way that, like, people look at Diego Rubio or people look at Tom Baji because of their level of production and then kind of the, the team that they're on. I think it says a lot about the lack of number nine options Portland had last year that were ineffective, that Yimi Chara, who's normally a number eight, a slightly attacking number eight, um, you know, started at the forward position over the weekend. But Yimi Char is the main one who I would be concerned about in terms of attacking prowess for Portland. Um, Laris Mabiala has come back recently from injury mark, so I want to think that Portland would be a little bit better and more organized defensively, particularly on set pieces. That's something that the Rapids still haven't, you know, hit their apex or gotten in form on on that. So I'd be looking for what do things look like from a set piece standpoint? Can the Rapids actually control the midfield? And then how much of the key injuries to the two main midfielders for both teams, Diego Chara for Portland, Jack Price for the Colorado Rapids, I think will be very significant in terms of deciding the outcome of this game. With those both things up in the air, Mark, I'm not even sure I'm prepared to give a uh, a prediction on this one. Would you like to hazard one? Ugh. Well, let's see. We've got two teams that just came out of 0-0 draws last week, um, but they'll be fully rested. So maybe that means both coaches will want to open things up and get really, really crazy, Matt. And maybe we have a 1-1 draw this week. I don't know. That's what I'm going for. I, I, I don't even I, – I, I don't know. Um, I will wait to see the – I will give an annou- – when I see the lineups, folks, I will give a prediction on what I think the score will be on Saturday. And I will not be prepared to do so until a moment sooner, until I see whether or not Sebastian Blanco is starting. What is Portland doing at the forward position? Is Jossie Zardes, Mark, potentially uh, starting at the – forward role in this one uh, he did go back to portland over the back to portland he did go back to columbus over the weekend and it's my understanding he might be in training on thir- on wednesday certainly he'll be back by um thursday's training session so we'll see is he going to be off the bench again what are the rapids doing from a midfield standpoint without jack bryce once i see the lineups folks i will make a prediction and i will not be prepared to do so until a moment sooner I'd like to see a straight four four two, to be honest, and I thought I think that sounds ridiculous because nobody plays a four four two anymore. But I'd like to see a straight four four two. Actually, I I covered a USL game game last week where um, uh, Atlanta two, um, Atlanta United's uh, 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 junior team um, does play a straight four four two. I would love to see that from the Rapids. Yes, that sounds ridiculous, but I think it's. With with the pieces we have, it's probably the right way to go. Um, but they're not going to do it. Listeners, we are sponsored by Acres FC and Roughneck Scarves, purveyors of fine neckwear and custom kits for your uh, birthday party, your bachelor party, your youth team, uh, whatever event that you want to do. Uh, we can. We. I don't know. Do I work there? I don't work there, Matt. But I'd like to. I mean, you know, I could sew a kit if... If I needed to, I, I've sewed things before. I've got nice skills with that. But they make really good things. Lots of colors. 
um, lots of styles, all sorts of options. They have a backlog of um, old stuff that you can get on discount. You can check out both their websites, Icarus FC, Roughneck Scarves. You can find them wherever the internet will take them, take you to them. Um, Matt, tell them how to hit us up on the social, on our email, and where you can read some of our finest written material. Listeners, follow us individually on Twitter at Soccer underscore Rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out the podcast on the Twitter machine, or I'll, I'll say the, the Elon Musk uh, forum for public speech, forum for free speech, but only what he's okay with at Rapids 96 Podcast. Check out all of our written content combined at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, last word on sports.com backslash soccer. And on our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Uh, you can view all of our stuff there. You can subscribe to us via email or see us in web form. And that is also where you can become a paid Highliner, 5 bucks a month or 42 for a calendar year if you are interested. And if we bring further monetary value to your life, hit, hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast. Or head on over to the Denver Post, denverpost.com backslash HTHL for a really good deal on all of their digital content for Whatever's left of the Nuggets season, and certainly, Mark, we're, we're all on the Avs bandwagon at this point um, once the Kings get eliminated in the first round by Edmonton, for me personally. Um, and then also, folks, uh, send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us at Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, we will see you next time. Peace.